So it's about $3 billion. That's how much was given back to Michiganders, but there's still about $2 billion left in the catastrophic fund. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Managing Editor for The Center Square. Michigan in Focus is brought to you by America's Talking Network. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric coming from echo chambers in our country today, America's Talking Network has been made for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find news, civil conversations, and all of the Center Square podcast. The only agenda that America's Talking Network has is to get America talking again. Go to americastalking.com to check out all of our podcasts. Once again, that's americastalking.com. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, March 17, which means it's St. Patrick's Day, and I'm talking to Scott McClellan, the Michigan reporter for the Center Square, who is, for all practical purposes, an Irishman, after speaking somewhat with Cole, who is also, if you couldn't tell by his name, an Irishman. So what what an honor and a joy for this individual who is of Irish heritage as well to talk to a couple of fellow countrymen from the old side. So how are you doing today, Scott? Doing great. It's uh, about 70 degrees for the first time and what seems like a very long time. Right. Well, Scott is based out of Lansing and I'm, I'm based out of Flint, Michigan. So we're looking at uh, the first bona fide day of spring. It's absolutely fantastically gorgeous here. So um, have to get the bicycle out um, if um, the Irish whiskey doesn't get to me first. So, um, Scott. Um, I had some, an interesting envelope in the mail on Monday. Yeah, I got my check from the Michigan Catastrophic Claims Association rebate, refund, whatever you want to call it. So, um, that made me happy, uh, three days before St. Patrick's Day getting a $400 check. How about you? You get yours? Not yet, but... I should have it by May 9th. You planning oh, okay. to uh, blow your whole $400 on that Irish whiskey today? Uh, no, I should have a little bit left over for some corned beef and cabbage. Ah, solid. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, there's always album shopping, so I can buy all sorts of music from artists that you have never heard of before, like the Beatles and Elvis and and people like that, that your generation is, for all practical purposes, not knowledgeable of, so. Might be better, might be better. I don't, I don't really care, honestly. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what you're missing, then you, it's fine. Then you don't miss it. Exactly. There you go, there you go. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, there, there seems to be some pushback for the $400 checks from people who do have pretty serious injuries from car accidents and they have 
seemingly um, lost a lot of their support that they had grown accustomed to because of the the change in the law. So if you could explain a little bit of what what the law changes are and how they might be negatively impacting those who, and and the businesses that uh, were being paid for long-term care from auto accidents. The $400 per insured vehicle, that check came out uh, from the Mich- from the Michigan Catastrophic Claims Association. So it's about $3 billion. That's how much was given back to Michiganders, but there's still about $2 billion left in the catastrophic fund and that takes care of people who were very badly injured in car accidents Uh, so i'm not i can't remember the exact premium but there was a quite a substantial cut to the organizations that were providing care oftentimes these people uh need they need in-home care Uh, a lot of times they can't stand up uh, depending on how severe the car crash was Right. And that's that's something that uh, we'll be writing more on before the weekend. So uh, I, I have a few tidbits of information that were sent to me, Scott, that I will pass on to you. So I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Sounds okay. good. All right. Well, um, you sent me a, a quick email to let me know what it is that you wanted to uh, talk about today. And one of them is the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services was audited and um, it was not a friendly audit. The, the, uh, the conclusion was somewhat, somewhat frightening. The audit, it was completed by the office of the Auditor General, Doug Ringler's office. It found that Michigan Department of Health and Human Services did not always determine beneficiary eligibility before dispersing those benefits. Uh, so, but however, the audit found $12.6 billion or 86 or excuse me, 84% of the payments were accurate. However, about $2.4 billion uh, was determined as quote, improper spending quote. Now, is there any way to recoup those, those losses? No, no, I, I, no, that that's that's gone. Kiss a goodbye. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's already gone out to beneficiaries. Uh, so, I mean, I, I believe how it would work is this: the state would have to claw back benefits, and I, I just don't see it doing that. Okay, well, that that sounds somewhat similar to what's going on with the unemployment insurance agency. It is am I correct in yes. saying that, or yeah, am I off yeah. base? Okay, I can definitely see the comparison. But however, uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services pushed back on the audit. Uh, They they said that the methodology of the audit was, quote, grossly inflated, end quote. But the audit, the auditor general still stood by his work. Okay, so, um, yeah, because uh, I, I have been contacted by individuals who are saying that the unemployment that they received during the pandemic, the uh, state is expecting them to repay. Uh, one individual contacted me said that uh, it was $27,500 that uh, they want him to pay back. And I, I know that there's legislation afoot to forgive all of those 
overpayment so that individuals do not have to repay that. But I don't know where that stands right now. I don't either. We're going to have to follow up on that. Okay. All right. Well, we're, we're getting lots of writing assignments today, aren't we? Yep. <laughs> so, okay. Well, um, here we get to a quite unsavory aspect of this week's podcast. And um, I don't know how to go about this other than to preface it all with saying much of this of these accusations are just that accusations. They are alleged uh, lapses in ethics. I guess that that's the best way to put it. When talking about uh, the ethics reform that the Michigan GOP is promoting uh, in the wake of the former speaker, Lee Chatfield's numerous scandals. Uh, Several bills that were introduced this week directly target uh, alleged strategies of Chatfield, ones that he used. And uh, so the the reform aims to do a couple things. It aims to ban lobbyists from sponsoring travel or lodging for legislatures. It would ban campaigns from spending money on direct family members. It would increase transparency for lobbying and campaign spending. And it would ease FOIA access. And we can go deeper into that. Yeah, please do. So FOIA is incredibly helpful, but it can also be very frustrating uh, whenever you're trying to get d- documents for weeks and uh, the even the news window might run out. So what these bills would do, it would make the agencies, uh, they must publicly post the contact information of their FOIA coordinators and they would have to accept electronic payments and uh, admit that a record exists, even if that record is not uh, accessible through FOIA. Hmm. And, okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. And uh, one last one. If a FOIA was denied, the public body that denied it must state all the reasons for the denial. Hmm. Okay. Well, and and we, we prefaced all of this, and we don't really need to delve into all of the salacious details on this, but... Uh, uh, former speaker Chatfield has been pretty much accused of everything, including the kitchen sink on on this one. Am am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, one of those things being putting his family on the payroll, uh, using campaign funds to help out uh, friends of the family, things like that. Yes, I believe uh, he allegedly paid over $300,000 in bonuses to uh, family members or staffers or a company ran by either of those two. Gotcha, gotcha. And then there's the the things that are, are out of the purview of his office that uh, are so unsavory, so salacious that I, I, I don't even want to bring them up because Number one, they're alleged. It has not been proven in court. Uh, number two, we don't know if anything illegal or unethical actually occurred in that situation. But um, it, it does not seem to bode well for Mr. Chatfield's reputation. And I think that's one thing that this bill package is trying to make sure is that something like this, if it actually did happen, uh, would never happens again. Gotcha. Well, since you brought up the Freedom of Information Act, 
FOIA, uh, just so those who are listening understand that what FOIA is, it's the Freedom of Information Act, which requires government agencies to respond to requests for information that has not been made abundantly clear and available prior to the request. So uh, we're, we're dealing with what's happening in Rochester, uh, the community school district there. And apparently the school district cannot allow a school to respond to a FOIA and the school can hide behind the district when it doesn't do that. There's, and there's, there's multiple problems out with Rochester uh, regarding FOIA, I believe. I, think, I, believe we have mul- or I believe we have multiple FOIAs uh, pending with them right now. Right, and uh, uh, as of today, Thursday, March 17th, we've not heard back from them. Although we, well, we've heard back from them that they could not fulfill the FOIA within the 10 days requested. And it's been 10 days since they said that, so we still haven't received anything. They've got till 5 p.m. until they break their own deadline they set for getting us information. So that's great. Okay, gotcha. Well, give us a little bit of background of what's going on with Rochester. I mean, I did a story this week on them, but you you did stories about them prior to. So they're, they're two separate stories, but they're still kind of the same. In February, a parent sued Rochester Community Schools for collecting a dossier on critical parents and even going as far as to call the employers of those parents. Uh, so there ended up a, a parent ended up suing the school and they settled the amount. However, the school will not say how much money they settled it for. So I'm waiting on uh, I, I asked for the dossier. I asked for the settlement amounts and a couple other things. So we'll, see. well right. And, and um, apparently one of the employees in the school district was friends with the owner of the business where the parent critical of the school district had been uh this gets complicated and gets (laughs) deep into the weeds so anyway this parent had been highly critical of the school district and wanted to know what they were teaching the the children and what have you and um was posting on a facebook group of parents and the school system actually had a person who a major portion of that employee's time was compiling a dossier on parents that were hypercritical or hypercritical being a a relative term of what the school district was doing. And in their alarm, they, at what they assumed was being said, or gosh only knows if it was just retaliatory retaliatory they uh, contacted this woman's employer where she was the communications director and she was fired so uh she she sued and there was a settlement made I, I don't think we could actually say that she won her case. I just think that there was a settlement in the case. And uh, th- what we're trying to find out is how much the school district settled for. And if this is, um, 
a fair use of taxpayer dollars who who fund our schools if they're going to go around compiling dossiers and uh, trying to sabotage the personal lives of people who are critical of their activities. And then when they get caught doing so, they use public dollars to bail them out. Yeah, it's wild. I did not have this on my 2022 bingo card. <laughs> but wait, wait, Scott, there's more. There's there's more to, to be told about this. And um, this is um, a, a woman who is currently suing the, the Rochester Community Schools for thwarting their FOIA requests. And uh, the Mackinac Center Legal Foundation announced on Tuesday that they were going to sue the school district for withholding curriculum activities from two FOIA requests made by Carol Beth, and I am going to totally massacre this poor woman's name, Likui, who is the mother of two Rochester district school children. And they said that they couldn't do it. Then they said that they would do it, but they, she would have to examine the materials on site. And then when she got there, they said, nope, we don't have those. You can't look at them because we just don't have them here because uh, apparently there are two different layers that she needed to go through, one being the school district itself and then the other being the actual school. So this is an ongoing thing. And, and we, we should bring up that this is all occurring. This is all coming to light during Sunshine Week. And uh, Scott, you want to you explain what Sunshine Week is or what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to commemorate? Yeah, it's supposed to commemorate uh, celebrating uh, transparent government. So you know what your tax dollars are funding and if they're uh, you know, funding something that you like or something that you think is a complete boondoggle. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to me because um, for all of the, the, the buzz around the word transparency when it comes to government entities, it seems that uh, they're sort of kind of always not walking it like they're talking it. And uh, you filed a story this morning, or, is it, or was it yesterday, on the Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson was celebrating, uh, heralding the transparency website for her department. And yet it was taken down many months ago. And you contacted them, I believe, in November of last year, November of 2021. And they said, um, yeah, well, it, it, it's, it's cool, but, um, it's, it's still down and, um, we can't give you an update as to when it will be back online. Yeah, I, so for context, Secretary of, uh, State Jocelyn Benson launched, launched this transparency website in 2019 for Sunshine Week. Uh, it, the website uh, had a lot of great things on it, her calendar uh, linked to the Department of State's expenditures, many other things. Uh, however, that website was taken down. I'm not totally sure when it was taken down, but in November of 2021, I asked her office and they told me that, quote, the page is in the progress of being updated as part of a larger and ongoing site migration. 
Many pages will experience disruption during this process. We do not have a definitive, definite date for the full site transition, but expect it will happen within the next couple months. So that was in November, and it's November 2021, and now it's March. Okay. So it doesn't... And, and, mm-hmm. And I, I have in front of me the the story that you wrote, Scott, and uh, I'm I'm going to quote you on this, where you give a list of what that web page included when it was still active, and that was uh, Secretary of State Benson's calendar, a link to the Department of State's expenditures, a link to the Bureau of Elections campaign finance disclosure database. Secretary Benson's ideas for restoring the public trust through improvements in transparency, <laughs> disclosure, and ethics. Instructions for submitting a Freedom of Information Act request to the Department of State and contact information for multiple Department of State staff members. Um, it was the fourth one that was kind of the sticking point for me. The uh, it it's almost like it was written by Joseph Heller, who wrote Catch 22. Secretary Benson's ideas for restoring the public trust through improvements in transparency, disclosure, and ethics. Um, and while this being St. Patrick's Day, um, it 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 also kind of reminds me of uh, some classic Irish literature by Flann O'Brien at Swim Two Birds or uh, the the Third Policeman. So it, it it's it's just wait a minute, we, we, are, we have a transparency website that is non-transparent because it doesn't really, for all practical purposes, once again, doesn't exist. Transparency is only nice when it benefits you, Bruce. I don't, I don't know if you're new to being around politicians or, or oh. what. You know, politicians will support FOIA up to where it could hurt them. And they say, I don't know about this. <laughs> huh. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thanks for that, uh, that lesson in in reality, young man. I I, I do appreciate that. So I'll be be here all week. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, so what are you working on for the, before the uh, weekend, Scott? I'm doing some research on a couple different stories. Uh, One, I'm trying to find out how many people are using uh, buses in Michigan. To, I'm going to talk to MDOT about that. I'm going to look over uh, millions of dollars of spending by Flint Public Schools. Uh, that's spending the federal ARPA funds. And um, I'm also going to do, yeah, that's that's it, I think. Okay. Well, yep. Yeah, and I am following up on a video that was released by Michigan Rising Action and it's uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel talking about line five. And she makes a lot of claims about uh, what Enbridge, who own and operate line five, what uh, they're doing. She says that closing the pipeline will have a very minuscule impact on gas prices here in Michigan which uh, from all of the studies I've read, it sort of runs contrary to those. And so I'm, I'm going to follow through on that and, and see if, do, do some fact checking and, and see that if what she says is indeed absolutely 100% factual. So I think that's what um, 
is going to take up a major chunk of my time before the weekend. Sounds good. Uh, it's uh, what a time to uh, make those claims, though, to say that you know shutting down Line Five won't spike oil prices. It's like, oh, is there is there some some relation between oil pipelines and fuel? I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll find well, out. Well, yeah, and her major claim is that uh, because the pipeline just runs through Michigan and goes to Canada that we don't tap into it. And that the, the oil that <laughs> yeah. from that pipeline that goes to local refineries, including refineries in Detroit and Toledo uh, will have no impact whatsoever on the Midwest. So a bold statement, no a, impact. Wow. Not, not a single impact. Well, she, well, to her credit, she said that it might uh, cause a, a minuscule impact, but it, it's all in the service of protecting the Great Lakes from a potential spill. And I think what she's basically exercising here is what's called the precautionary principle that um, it's better to be 100% certain that accidents won't happen. And uh, those accidents will not result in a tremendous amount of pollution um, and an environmental catastrophe. So we'll, we'll do some fact checking on that and, and see if we can't get something posted by the end of the day tomorrow. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I believe that's all the time we have for this week's Michigan in Focus podcast. I'd really like to thank Scott McClellan and I would really like to thank our producer, Cole McNeely. And you can read all of Scott's stories and all the Center Square stories at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And you can listen to the Center Square podcast at americastalking.com. Once again, that's americastalking.com. I'm the Center Square's Midwest Regional Editor, Bruce Walker, Scott McClellan, and I will be back next week 